Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Thanks to Sagely Naturals for supporting Mueller, she wrote. Sagely Naturals has superior standards for quality and ensures all their CBD products are completely THC-free. Sagely Naturals has me feeling like my best self. Get 20% off your first order at sagelynaturals.com ag. And thanks to Beta Brand for supporting Mueller, she wrote. Who says comfy can't be work appropriate? Beta Brand wants you to look good and feel good, even at the office. Go to betabrand.com slash AG, all lowercase, and get 20% off your dress pant yoga pants today. This is Seth Abramson. I'm the author of Proof of Collusion, and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did have, not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. 
Hello and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me as always are Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. What an amazing week, you guys. Uh, I got to spend some time with the McCabes, the McBabes in Salt Lake City. We got some incredible news this week. Muller breaks his silence with a letter confirming our suspicions about Barr. Uh, which we didn't initially have, but then had, and then no one believed us, and now we're right. <laughs> uh, we we have a ton of updates on some old baddies, including Eric Prince, George Papadopoulos, and Roger Stone, as well as a full interview with Andrew McCabe at the end of the episode where we talk about Comey's decision to reopen the Clinton investigation 11 days before the 2016 election, uh, Mueller's letter, and uh, the steps leading up to the Trump investigation, uh, along with the appointment of, of Robert Mueller, special counsel. Good stuff. I yeah. know. I asked Best him all the good episode stuff. ever. The only thing I didn't ask him, and I should have, is why Comey took Miguelovich off of the top 10 most wanted FBI list. Mm. I, I failed to ask him that. He probably wouldn't have known the answer or been able to tell me anyway. So I could just go ahead and probably safely say he wouldn't have been able to tell me that. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Yeah. You know. Uh For everyone concerned about my emergency Friday, everything is okay. Thank you for all your emails and kind messages. Podcat is fine. It had nothing to do with Podcat. I'm fine. We're all fine. Uh, there was an issue with a family member, but everything's going to be okay. I just wanted to allay your concerns. Um, so thank you for, for having them. Um, we are coming to Minneapolis June 14th, uh, Minnesota. Tickets are going quickly, so grab them by heading to MullerSheWrote.com. We're also nailing down dates for Chicago, San Francisco, Denver, Portland, and Philly. And we will be here in San Diego at the Comedy Palace Sunday, May 19th, I believe, as part of the San Diego Comedy Festival. We'll keep you posted on those shows and dates as we get confirmations. And for information on the San Diego show, head to the San Diego Comedy Festival website. I'm sure it's on there. Uh, and we are headed to the Webbies this weekend. Um, and this, this Thursday, May 9th, is the Twitter crowdsourcing day for our five-word acceptance speech. So please follow us on Twitter at Muller, she wrote. You can participate in that. Help us put together our five-word speech. I'm still leaning on put some beans on it. I mean, that's a crowd favorite. That's <laughs> like definitely a front runner. Yeah, but we've gotten suggestions for vote blue no matter who. Mm. Um, we've gotten a vote in numbers too big to manipulate, although that's six words. We have to figure out how to <laughs> pull it down to five words. And you can't use contractions. Can't you impeach the motherfucker now? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can, but you can't, you, you can't use like Trump's. Would, it has to be Trump is. Or, I see, I see. Unless it's a possessive. So, yeah, contractions. Mm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Schoolhouse Rock taught me that. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> they take this very seriously. They do. Mm -hmm. They're very serious on the five words. Uh, finally, we're going to release part two of our probably 10-part series on the Mueller Report um, and probably tomorrow for patrons. So check that out. Once we have them all, we'll release them as a full series to the public. But if you want them early... Head to patreon.com slash Muller, she wrote. Once a patron, you're automatically a patron for the Daily Beans, our new daily news pod coming out soon. So you'll get those episodes ad free as well as ad free main episodes, plus the entire archive of book reviews and bonus content, our newsletter, my personal show notes. Did the cat just go to the restroom? Yes, he, he did. <laughs> right. Yeah. We were we were gearing up for that. Right. But he buried the pee like a very polite oh podcast. Yeah. Had he tripped coming out of the box? That was what that noise was. <laughs> yes. If you're just tuning in, we have post surgery podcat with us in the room that yeah. needs to be quarantined for yeah. the rest of the house. We'll have an interview with him later in the show. <laughs> he's convalescing. Uh, he's doing oh, well. God. His stitches come out uh, Wednesday, your birthday, Jordan. Yes, that's right. And uh, HE's husband's birthday. Yeah. 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 The cat's like, Trump, I piss on the yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's his commentary on, nice. on this presidency. That's his, his pee. Uh, he, if you stick around, he might poop for us later. So, you know, mm. you never know. Yeah. You, we could get lucky. Mm -hmm. Sabotage. Gets real fun. 
<laughs> all right. Any, anyways, with all that out of the way, guys, uh, it's time for my favorite new segment, Corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Shut the fuck up! Alright guys, during one of our daily episodes, it appeared I was using the word tacit to mean express. And it's actually the opposite. A tacit agreement is like a wink and a nod, or it's an understood or implied agreement without being stated, which is not enough to convict on cons- in conspiracy cases, mm. uh, but is probably what happened in the Russian uh, coordination efforts between mm. the Trump campaign, Trump allies, and uh, members of the Russian government. Got it. Uh, so, yeah, I was saying it has to be a tacit agreement. No, that's not correct. It has to be an explicit or express agreement. I was using the word tacit incorrectly. Good to know. Um, I had also said that the Church of Satan uh, was now tax exempt, but will pay taxes. Uh, but in fact, it's the Satanic Temple that has been granted tax exempt <laughs> status. And they will likely not pay taxes. Oh, man. Yeah. But the Church of Satan was like, we're not tax exempt. We're paying taxes. So uh, <laughs> Church of Satan, apparently a for-profit organization. <laughs> Do it. Well, they're Satan. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. C. Thomas Howell was not on Ally McBeal, nor was Patrick Dempsey, who was actually Dr. McDreamy, a.k.a. Derek Christopher Shepard, M.D., from Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Patrick Dempsey that was in Can't Buy Me Love in 1987. Oh, okay. So... Uh, I got the Dempsey and Can't Buy Me Love thing right, but I yeah, I got, got I was, your hot white guys mixed up. Right? I was mostly absent for the 90s, so oh yeah, yeah. I didn't know too much about Ally McBeal. It's all a blur for you. <laughs> uh, someone had told us the actor who plays Hyde in that 70s show is an alleged abuser, sexual assaulter. He was oh. fired from his role on the show The Ranch, produced by Ashton Kutcher, when Netflix learned of these allegations. Now, he was never charged with a crime, but he's a Scientologist. Oh, and God damn it. Apparently, the Church of Scientology had filed over 50 affidavits from Scientologists who denied the women's account. Oh, so they denied it. Okay, that solves that problem mm. then. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to believe like the sanity of anyone's testimony, it should be a Scientologist. For sure. That's for what sure. I always say. Yeah. Uh, do they... Nope, they have tax exempt status. <laughs> uh, Eric Holder was not held in contempt for refusing to appear before Congress. He was held in contempt for recommending Obama assert executive privilege and not turn over subpoenaed Department of Justice documents as he viewed the subpoena as overly broad and it would upset the balance between the executive and legislative branches. Ah. That's not that's very different from what Barr is doing. Mm-hmm. Right. But also something that could very much play out in the coming days. <laughs> oh, yeah, easily. Uh, yeah. And we'll, I'm sure we'll hear more about it from Trump allies. What about Eric Holder? Because they bring up all the relevant stuff. <laughs> um, all right. All whales are mammals. <laughs> uh, my first instinct yes. was correct. I just think my brain had a hard time being comfortable saying all of something is something. You didn't want to generalize without knowing for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I see. there are always exceptions, but no exceptions when it comes to whales. Mm-hmm. Um, dolphins and porpoises are not whales, oh. but they're all mammals. All right. so got it, got it. Now we've got, we've got that straight. Thank you, all of our marine biologist listeners. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Thank you again for helping us be better. If you have any corrections, do not hesitate to send them to hello at MullerSheWrote.com using the fluff stab fluff method of feedback, also known as the (laughs) shit sandwich, which is say something nice, then give the feedback, then end with something nice. We're much more receptive to that. Yeah, we like that. (laughs) And with corrections out of the way, let's get to the week's Muller news with just the facts. All right. So as we know, a couple of weeks ago, Congress issued a friendly subpoena for Mazar's tax firm to hand over Trump's financial documents in response to Cohen testifying that Trump had inflated his assets for loan applications. And Trump sued to block the release of these documents. And and Congress agreed to postpone their subpoena to allow the courts to decide. 
uh, to adjudicate that. Well, this week, in response to a Deutsche Bank and Capital One subpoena, Trump, his kids, and his org uh, sued to block those banks from handing over financial documents that would include parts of his business and personal tax returns. The lawsuit was first reported by the New York Times and was filed in the Southern District of New York in response to the subpoenas from the House Financial Services Committee and the House Intelligence Committee. In this case, just like in the Deutsche Bank and Capital One case, um, the House has postponed, or sorry, in the Capital One and Deutsche Bank case, just like the Mazars case, the House has postponed the friendly subpoenas until the court weighs in. The court date in this case is set for May 22nd, and the Mazars court date is May 14th. So they're coming up pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Because I know that's all of Trump's tactic is to just delay. Yeah. That's exactly right. He's, he's just delaying it. We have beans on Trump losing both of these cases. Um, and as he's citing presidential harassment, <laughs> which isn't a thing. Uh, but this week in California legislation, uh, we passed a bill that would require anyone running for president and vice president to release five years of tax returns or they don't get to appear on the ballot. Hmm. I have a suggestion, too, for Trump saying all this presidential harassment stuff. Let's just call it like locker room subpoenas. Like, <laughs> he should understand that, right? It's just locker room subpoenas. Yeah, yeah, no deal. <laughs> just grab him by the pussy and move along. <laughs> Puss up. <laughs> Um, so this vote in the California legislature ran along party lines with all 10 Republicans voting no, who I'm sure have wonderfully clean tax returns. Um, your call to action this week is to call Governor Gavin Newsom's office and tell him to sign the bill. His phone number is uh, area code 916-445-2841. That's 916-445-2841. Call him up and say, sign that tax release bill. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's awesome. I like yeah. transparency. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Also this week, Adam Schiff has hired the uh, ex-director of the FBI financial crime section, Patrick Fallon, to bring his significant expertise to the Senate Intelligence Committee's efforts to scrutinize Trump's financial dealings. According to Schiff, the investigations pertain to any credible allegations of leverage by the Russians, the Saudis, or anyone else, he just says, or anyone else. According to Frank Figlusi, a former he's the former assistant director of the counterintelligence division at the FBI, the fact that he hired someone at the former senior executive service level from within the FBI's financial crime section denotes an effort to apply significant resources to examining and analyzing the financial findings. And he says, quote, by the time you uh, get to the head of the financial crime section, you would have substantial white collar crime and global financial crime experience, both at the street level and the supervisory level. And his role at headquarters would have had him overseeing the bulk of all financial crime cases in the FBI. Fallon uh, started at the FBI in 1992, and he worked on Ken Starr's probe of Bill Clinton, having called Monica Lewinsky's lawyer on behalf, uh, on her behalf, while Starr was questioning her. Wow. Yeah. So that's that guy. Um, apparently, I don't know why the financial crimes expert was. Yeah, I was going to say, how does that relate? Yeah, just an interesting little fact there. Monica Lewinsky's going to be at uh, the Webby's. She won a Webby. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. For being Monica? For being Monica. Nice. Yeah. Cool. I hope we get to run into her and meet her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, probably my guess is he wasn't head of the cr- uh, financial crimes unit at the time he did that. Yeah. Um, he that was probably later on in his career. I think he left the FBI in 2017. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there are a couple of significant Roger Stone updates this week, and Jaleesa will cover those later in Hot Notes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Politico has a story out this week about Chuck Schumer, the Senate minority leader, calling for a boost in election security for the 2020 election after the release of the Mueller report. Makes sense, right? Right. Uh, Schumer wrote this letter to his Dem colleagues, his Democratic colleagues, throwing some pretty heavy shade at the Trump administration for not adequately responding to the attack on our democracy. Schumer is asking for a classified briefing from the Trump administration, including the heads of the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI Cyber Command Unit, 
detailing what steps they are taking currently to protect the integrity of the 2020 elections. This comes on the heels of reports last week that we talked about indicating that former Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen was told by acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney not to bring up election security with the president. Not a good topic to talk to the president Mm, about. In addition to the briefing, Schumer wants legislation to secure the elections. Uh, He wants additional funding for state and local election officials, which Mitch McConnell blocked in 2016. And he wants new sanctions against Putin. All sounds fair. Yeah, that's not unreasonable. High five. I'm with him. Uh, Then Wednesday, Attorney General Bill Barr appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and Jordan has those highlights Mm -hmm. later in the show. Crazy. Uh, Another investigation was opened into the Trump Organization this week, this time by New York Attorney General Letitia James, and she's not fucking around. Uh, I don't think she'd have any reservations indicting uh, a sitting president. I don't know about you, but I have no proof of that. It's just a feeling after hearing her speak about the rule of law and how no one's above it. Yeah. And she's made it like a super big point that she intends on fully investigating him wherever is necessary. So I can't imagine that comes with a caveat of refusing to indict him. Yeah, I don't find anything. Yeah, I don't. As a state attorney general, I don't think she is obligated to follow the Department of Justice policy guidelines on not indicting a sitting president. But I don't know. And even if she was, I feel like she doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, she's pretty badass. Yeah, yeah, I kind of I'm with you on that. Um, Anyway, we learned this week that she has interviewed more than two dozen undocumented immigrants who claim they were underpaid or not paid at all while working extra hours at the Trump National Golf Club Westchester at Briarcliff Manor. (laughs) Uh, This new investigation, (laughs) Briarcliff Manor. Um, This new investigation is based on reports suggesting that. Trump organization managers systematically cheated workers because they knew they were undocumented. They couldn't do anything about it. I imagine that will be a high threshold to prove, however, uh, that the Trump org supervisors had corrupt intent when they were underpaying or not paying workers, knowing they didn't have any recourse because they're here illegally. That could be a really tough thing to prove. I think you would need that that one email or that one memo that said we're a doing this. A concrete document. Yeah, at least it'll give Trump and his team a headache, you know. <laughs> I mean, just something, some kind of consequence. Something else to sue to block. Exactly. Um, yeah, proving they knew they were undocumented and, al- and allowing them to work there anyhow is, is central to proving that case. Many of the undocumented workers cooperating with the New York Attorney General are some of the 18 workers Trump fired last year after reports revealed the extent of undocumented labor at Trump's properties. The uh, Trump organization's response is that migrant workers are lying and submitted fake identif- identification to obtain employment. Yeah. In a related case, a federal judge this week has allowed a lawsuit filed by congressional Democrats against Trump's private business for violation of the Emoluments Clause to move forward. Mm-hmm. The Emoluments Clause is that pesky rule that disallows a president from benefiting personally from the office of the presidency. It's why previous presidents... You know, they open blind trusts so that they aren't in charge of their own businesses or they sell their businesses off like Jimmy Carter sold yeah, his peanut he's farm. Yeah, favorite cute little example. <laughs> yep. Him and his peanuts. Yeah, I think there was an old uh, anecdote that, that Ben Franklin had a picture frame that was given to him by King George, I think, mm-hmm. and he, he had to give it back or ask Congress for permission to keep it. And I think, some, oh, sorry, go ahead. I think I don't think that that's a real story. But, but it's just cute. Yeah, something, uh, a real story about uh, Carter is that uh, he, you know, built houses, right, with Habitat for Humanity, and someone posted a meme like uh, like a r- real president building, like, real, you know, walls, like, just like, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually building things, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, this decision came down from the U.S. District Court Judge Emmett G. Sullivan, who adopted a very broad definition of the Emoluments Clause, and it could set the stage for congressional Democrats to begin seeking documentation from the Trump Organization. Uh, The Department of Justice will likely appeal the lawsuit, 
But uh, in his nearly 50-page opinion, Sullivan denied Trump's motion to dismiss the case and rejected Trump's narrow definition of emoluments, finding it, quote, unpersuasive and inconsistent. Um, this is one of two landmark cases against Trump for emoluments. The other was filed in Maryland by the attorneys general in D.C. and Maryland. Uh, but the Justice Department successfully temporarily blocked subpoenas for financial records related to Trump's D.C. hotel in that case. Uh, this, law this lawsuit, brought by over 200 Democrats, alleges Trump has received payments for hotel rooms and events from foreign governments, as well as licensing fees paid by foreign governments for his show The Apprentice and intellectual property rights in China. Hmm. Goddamn. Dude. William Barr's going to need to, like, do some Doctor Strange shit to <laughs> deflect all these things coming from, like, all around. Definitely. Yeah, it's impossible. Good. Yeah. Good for him. It's insane. He's, like, Neo in the Matrix just dodging those bullets. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think he's got to block them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dump them in a bowl of toxic waste and see if it does anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Bannon can help him out with that. Yeah, he's I'm got the hot tub. I'm still curious about that hot tub. <laughs> yeah, the acid-filled hot tub. Mm -hmm. Bannon's hot tub. A party gone wrong or something. <laughs> hot tub crime machine. <laughs> totally. Uh, we think this case is the first time federal judges have uh, interpreted the emoluments clause and applied its restrictions to a sitting president. So it's pretty historic. And if the name Emmett Sullivan sounds familiar, it should, because he's the judge handling the case uh, against Michael Flynn. Mm. So if you remember when Michael Flynn was at that sentencing hearing a while back and the judge was like, has anyone uh, thought about treason? <laughs> and, and, and the government was like, uh, we talk about that later, bro. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, and then he's like, uh, you know, Michael Flynn's like, yeah, I'm ready to be sentenced. And the judge is like. All right, do you, are you? Because you don't want me to do this today. Right. Because I just read everything under those redacted bars. You don't want me to, you should go forth and try to cooperate more. He's like, no, we're ready. And he's like, dude, <laughs> really? Do you, are you sure? <laughs> he did him a solid, really, just like he, constantly asking uh, him. Yeah, I think he asked him five times mm -hmm. uh, was what was reported, at least what I think from what I remember seeing on Matto. But uh, yeah, that's the same judge. So he, he, he read Trump's. Motion to dismiss and went, you're full of shit. <laughs> That's like when your friend is like, slap me in the face, just do it, just do it. Are you sure? I really don't want to. And then do you pin slap them and they never forgive you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. They're on the curb and you're like, gotta go. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, this week, the Washington Post got a hold of a letter written by Bob Mueller to Bill Barr about his handling of the investigation findings. And I'll go over that in hot notes. And we have an update on Papadopoulos. In a New York Times report Thursday, we learned that in September of 2016, the FBI sent an informant who went by the name Azra Turk to meet with Papadopoulos to discuss foreign policy issues. This is five months after he drunk bragged to the Australian diplomat Alexander Downer and two months after Australia called up and told us about it. Um, this is an after because July 30th is when that uh, the investigation into the four dudes was opened up the mm -hmm. counterintelligence uh, investigation into Papadop, page flynn and manafort was open right so when you later on in in uh, the show with the interview with mccabe he's going to go over that timeline that's sort of where you can plug this in is uh after he drunk bragged after pop it up drunk bragged after they opened the investigation then september they sent this informant out got it this is a previously unreported detail in the counterintelligence investigation which has become a political talking point of trump allies who say the fbi spied on the trump campaign but the decision to employ Ms. Turk is indicative of the level of alarm within the FBI when they were trying to determine the scope of Russia's attempts to disrupt the 2016 election. Ms. Turk was deployed to London to help oversee the operation and work alongside longtime FBI informant and Cambridge professor 
Stefan Halper. She was there to provide an extra layer of oversight and gather information for any prosecution that might have emerged from the case. The operation, the full total operation, didn't yield any fruitful intelligence, but the FBI calls these activities legal and carefully considered under the extraordinary circumstances. Remember, there would have been no investigation had we not gotten several pieces of evidence that Trump, the Trump campaign was working with the Russians to interfere in the election. The operation has been under investigation by the Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, who is set to release his findings this month, May or June. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Um, this should give uh, Trump more reason to talk about how the, the, he was spied on. Um, right, but spied on for good reason, you know, legally spying on someone. <laughs> well, that and I think this is too complex for his base to understand. <laughs> so I don't think he's going to touch it. There's been a, a few things that have happened over the past two years where we're like, oh, my God, Trump's going to run with this. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't. And yeah. I, because he doesn't really point to specific instances, more so just words or phrases he can repeat right, right. over and over again anyway. So yeah, just he throw this under the umbrella of the term spying <laughs> that he puts on Twitter all the time. Yeah. Yeah. If he can't boil it down to a two word marketing brand, mm-hmm. he, he won't White put it out. Yeah. <laughs> he won't put it out. Spygate. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. what it was. Good example. Uh, now I think they've they've uh, switched over to it's done. That's I've heard them repeat that oh. over and over again with the Mueller investigation and trying to block all the congressional oversight saying it's our it's done. It's done. We're not going to. It's done. Mm. And that's their new thing. I hope it backfires. So you'll hear a lot of uh, probably Twitter bots. And, it's done. Get over it. <laughs> Poor Gates, man. They really get like a bad rep in all those white collar crimes. <laughs> Everything's gate. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 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 Spygate. Why mm-hmm. is that? Because Watergate. Watergate, the name right. of the business. It's, was, literally, it's literally just that. Just though, because right? of that. Yeah. It's just like a spinoff. <laughs> Yeah, because Watergate was the name of the, the hotel. Why, why the do hotel, you think yeah. we, we like hang? That's so interesting what that means that we hang on to that. I'm trying of. to think of an example like in another case where we do this. And I'm sure there are some, but I'm just blanking. But yeah, like yeah. the collective human. like Yeah, like you know, linguistically, like, what mm-hmm. threshold does something have to rise to before we would associate it with that specifically? Oh, All right. And, it, and it's funny that, that the Republicans are using the gate uh, suffix. Uh, mm-hmm. it, to defend themselves when it was Republicans during Watergate who were guilty. That's so funny. Uh, of you know, times have changed. Yeah, crimes. So uh, <laughs> it's it's just it's a weird thing for anyone to use. But that is how significant the Watergate scandal was. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it is responsible for naming all future gates mm-hmm. after that. I yeah, I was alive then. <laughs> um, crazy time. I know. I know. Well, you've Not got like we're in you've got right it now. now. <laughs> you got your own. Yeah, but I wish I could experience both of them so I could like compare the two, you know? Yeah. Watergate. I love talking to people that were around during like that. Like Jill Weinbanks mm-hmm. when she was on our show. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Uh, also, this Thursday, Attorney General Bill Barr was set to appear before the House Judiciary Committee, but he had threatened not to show up if that committee was going to move forward with having a lawyer question him at the end for 30 minutes instead of just the members at five minutes each. So Thursday came and Barr didn't show up. But Steve Cohen, a representative from Tennessee, uh, was there with a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and a ceramic (laughs) statue of a chicken, which he perched at the table in front of Barr's empty seat. I thought this was hilarious, uh, though we did get several emails chastising us for laughing at the joke, citing that our democracy is in serious trouble and this is not the time for chicken shenanigans. Do they know what we do? Yeah, it's probably not the podcast for them then. (laughs) But guys, humor is important in any democracy. Comedy speaks truth to power uh, and we aren't in any worse shape than we would have been had Cohen not made the joke. Yeah, if we don't laugh at the chickens, we're chickens. <laughs> In fact, exactly. It drew attention and scrutiny to the fact that Barr decided not to show up for questioning. I mean, think about it. That story might have come and gone without note 
had he not placed a chicken there. So my hat's off to him for capitalizing on hilarity and shining a light on the attorney general's failure to show up and answer questions. Yeah, yeah definitely. It was really cute, though, when he would go on all like the news shows and he'd bring the chicken with him. Like He was really dragging out the bit. <laughs> But yeah. it's such a dad or grandpa joke, like just having his little chicken in his hand. Yeah, he didn't milk it. <laughs> yeah, top of Congress. Totally. And then someone said, like, <laughs> what, what's the message you're trying to bring? He's like, well, the message is that bar is a chicken. <laughs> it's pretty fucking clear if you missed it. Uh, what's funny is Fox News had a different take with their frequent guests, uh, I think, and their hosts on some Fox show, Diamond and Silk. Who called the oh stunt racially insensitive? Okay, these All ladies. Right. These ladies. I, Wait, to white people? Yeah, the white guy who brought chicken to make fun of the white guy is these two uh, black women, insensitive. Diamond and Silk. They're I guess oh, related. Oh, okay, they're either yes. sisters or, oh, yeah, or they're just friends. Huh? Yeah, or were they? I didn't they know. Were, yeah. Okay, I didn't know them then, but I see them pop up. They're really riding this wave. Like maybe there's a chance they believe what they're saying, but I get the vibe that they are just like kind of what Tommy Lauren is doing, like just like just riding this wave of of radicalization, and and they're being like the token black people for Fox News, and they're just you know milking it really. They were saying the fried chicken is pl- is insensitive is insens- because. I have no idea how. Because but, of its association with, like, the stereotypes of black people in America? Well, if that's she, the connection... Like she didn't explain it. It went that, over my head. That, yeah. was the inf- <laughs> it, it, that was the inference what a to me. Stretch. But no black people were involved no, in any exactly. of Exactly. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. Like, they're, they're trolls. They're professional trolls. They must know what they're doing. I don't think they're stupid. That's I think the they're question. shameless. Are Diamond and Silk, people like that, Tommy Laren, uh, Jacob Wool, oh, yeah. do these people actually, Roger Stone, fully believe what they're doing? Or are they... Just capitalizing it, off mm-hmm. of they're just cashing checks because you, yeah. you give enough um, enough money to the wrong person and they will make these decisions. And the reason I think that that's the truth is because that's what they accuse us of. Mm. And it ten, Republicans tend to, uh, at least in the Project. Roger School theory, <laughs> uh, a Roger Stone uh, theory of of how to be a troll, mm-hmm. they. Uh, deny and then attack you for doing what they do totally yeah because they know it's plausible because they're doing it so when they call us grifters riding the wave of Mueller, you know to do whatever it's probably they're doing the exact same thing exactly and i think even if we are technically riding the wave of Mueller, yes his name's in our title we talk about him it's for different reasons than why they do their things like it's you know for for whatever benefits we get from this i do feel like it's connected to a higher purpose and for them it's purely selfish in my opinion all all of our money goes back into the show it goes toward getting health care for everybody it goes to i mean yeah we're not balling out of control you know like but these guys i mean they're they're millionaires and and if you earn it and you do right by people no shame in that but I mean coming from Roger Stone it's like I'm going to talk about this later too I got the whole hot note on him it's just hypocrisy at its finest yeah, yeah. these Fox News people are method actors and mm-hmm. crisis me- actors yeah they're, they're method, method actors and their method is madness and that's all they fucking do <laughs> is just really go to the bit because yeah. they get money from it so I think that it's for sure you have to start at some level of a conservative right to do that of course, but there's no goddamn way that they believe all that shit right. that they say. Like Alex Jones doesn't either. He admitted he's it. A, yeah, he's he called himself a uh, perform- performance artist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, when he got sued. No, even before then, I think, right? Uh, or maybe not, but I think... kicked off of something. I think he was just at that point telling the truth. Like, some of them lie to cover their asses, but that's something I truly believed from him. Like, it seemed genuine. He's like, I'm not doing this because I believe I'm doing this for money. I'm like, oh, wow, a little honesty there. <laughs> yeah, know? so you have to... Yeah. yeah, you just have to wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very strange. But, yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, 
Yeah, so Diamond and Silk, um, racially insensitive <laughs> with Cohen and his bucket of chicken. Though they didn't have anything to say about Steve King's disparaging remarks when he compared himself to suffering to that of oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, of course Christ. not, yeah. I can't make this shit up, you guys. It's this probably is... in their contract not to say bad things about white people. Yeah, or I can imagine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Do they, like, protest all Kentucky Fried Chickens then? I, I don't I, I wonder. Don't know. No, but apparently the, it's a racially insensitive thing. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. God damn. Super dumb. Uh, also good. this week, we, we got to see a scathing letter uh, that the White House lawyer Emmett T. Flood wrote to Bill Barr on April 19th. So this is just a couple weeks ago. In that letter, Flood slammed Bob Mueller's report, calling it deeply flawed, and said that Trump's decision to let advisors cooperate with uh, the Mueller probe does not extend to congressional oversight investigations. But it's obvious to me that Trump waived executive privilege when he allowed the advisors to cooperate fully with the Mueller investigation. This letter is an indication that Trump is going to assert executive privilege at every turn, which we had concluded months ago when we reported Trump hired a team of 17 lawyers whose sole purpose was going to be claiming executive privilege <laughs> about pretty much every oversight matter that came up. Uh, Flood's letter said that the Mueller report itself suffers from an extraordinary legal defect because he didn't render a judgment on whether or not to prosecute the president. But we all know that uh, had Mueller drawn those conclusions, Trump allies in the Department of Justice would be citing the policy that disallows a sitting president to be indicted. No win scenario. Uh, the, scariest, the scariest part of this letter is that it provides a potential justification for an investigation into the investigation. Specifically leaks about conversations between Flynn and Kislyak saying that government officials engaged in a campaign of illegal leaks against the president. Hilarious coming from the party of Devin Nunes. Yeah, illegal leaks too gets me every time. I just <laughs> still waiting for that PP tape, man. <laughs> Who's going to leak the P tape? Mm hmm. Uh, finally, we have a lot of deadlines coming up this week you should be aware of. Tomorrow, Monday, Cohen is set to report to prison. So put some beans on Lanny Davis pulling some kind of last-minute rabbit out of his hat. Uh, as of this recording, they haven't, but we should look for it. Also, Monday, you know you know how he did this last Why well, I, I, Can you do not go to prison because I'm helping? Just going to be like a freaking cat in a tub just completely like, on the doorway. It's like, no, no. <laughs> it's also a pussy. Oh, there I go again. Puss up. Yeah, puss up. There we go. Uh, let's see here. Also, Monday is the deadline for Steve. I don't call him Steven. Uh, Steve Mnuchin. Uh, he set this deadline for himself to respond to the House Ways and Means Committee's demand for Trump's tax returns. May 6th, he said. Uh, and that's a law. I don't know how he's going to avoid it. But Monday is also the deadline for Jerry Nadler to get the full unredacted copy of the Mueller report he asked for the second time. And uh, keep in mind, all these set and reset deadlines are the legal means to set up an exhaustion of due process so that when these cases are litigated in court, the Democrats can say they tried everything. Remember, Jaleesa, when you did the report on, I think, serving a subpoena to Kushner? Or, oh, yeah. Was we tried Junior? To, yeah, we tried to get it. Oh, actually, Kushner was the one that we tried to they tried to go to all his different properties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And the, and the reason they do that is so that when they go to court and say, you know, we exhaust we did our due diligence. Right. We did everything we could. And that's an important thing to establish in these cases. It takes time, too. And I understand everyone's kind of impatient to get this shit done. Uh, but we have to sort of set up this idea uh, that we have tried everything. The Democrats have tried, gone uh, to the ends of the earth to get what they need to do their investigation. That way, when the judge sees it, they go, yeah, you did try everything. Yeah, their case is Therefore, foolproof. I have to force you to force them to totally, hand this stuff over. Totally. So sorry about it taking time. That's just how it goes. 
Uh, Tuesday is the deadline to hand over documents in a White House subpoena, and Trump said he'd block that subpoena, but we haven't heard anything yet. And I think those are the McGahn documents. And, of course, May 14th is the court hearing for Mazar's friendly subpoena, and May 22nd is the court hearing for Deutsche Bank and Capital One friendly subpoenas. So we'll keep keep uh, you posted on those. And speaking of White House Democrats, uh, a late-breaking story today from Raw Story and MSNBC indicates that Omarosa Magnault Newman, former advisor to Trump and co-star of The Apprentice, uh, <laughs> alleges the White House likely destroyed five boxes of emails that were supposed to go to Mueller's team. Oh. Now... Boxes of emails. Yeah. <laughs> like printed out. <laughs> that sounds strange. That's no. Really old school. <laughs> we know from Mueller in his report in the limitations section in volume one that Mueller was unable to obtain a lot of documentary and witness testimony because of a wholly uncooperative White House, basically. Uh, well, Omarosa told Reverend Al Sharpton this weekend, I think it's important to realize that very early on in the administration, we got letters directing us to preserve all information related to the Mueller investigation, all investigations, any information, any emails and any correspondence any text messages. We had a clear directive to preserve those documents, preserve the emails, preserve the text messages. So I thought it was very interesting that after my discussion with General Kelly in the Situation Room, uh, when I went to take my things, I was instructed that I had to leave seven boxes of documents that came from the campaign, the inauguration, the transition, and that they wouldn't allow me to get them. And what's very curious to me is that, as I stated, it was seven boxes of documents, but they only referred to two, which leads me to believe they've destroyed the other five. Now, I don't know how much credibility I give to Omarosa here, but it does fall in line with what the Mueller report stated uh, in his findings about not getting all the evidence he needed. So I'm I'm not going to put beans on this, but it wouldn't it would also wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Right. Same. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm confused. So how is it not backed up on a disk or something well, somewhere? That's the thing. Uh, but files <laughs> is that did they print them out? Delete them electronically right. and then shred them. In which case, why would why they would even you print bother them out? printing them out? And then we they know... just wanted to kill the trees. They just wanted to get that in there. <laughs> <laughs> just kill trees in yeah, the spare time. While they're here, let's just kill the earth faster. <laughs> and then we know um, that the transition emails were all gotten by Mueller through the GSA. Remember when uh, Giuliani put that lawyer in, in the GSA, General Services Admi Administration? That's the... Uh, agency that's responsible for all of the presidential transition emails. Right, not and the that, Gay Street Alliance. <laughs> right, not the Gay Street Alliance. And then that lawyer died and they forgot, so Mueller just went in and asked for the <laughs> stuff and they gave it to him and yeah. Trump was like, no! Right. <laughs> like, sorry, your dude Sleep died. through the cracks, that corpse. <laughs> totally did. What a dick. That's the only reason Trump cried at his funeral. <laughs> oh, he didn't even go. No, he wouldn't have gone. If he, He's if not he, invited. No one wants him anywhere. <laughs> It's a fucking drunk aunt that fucks everything up. Uh, that's why he didn't know the guy died. He's, he was not invited that's to the That's right. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's terrible. Anyway, guys, those are just the facts. We'll be right back with Hot Notes. Hey, guys. As you all know, I battle with secondary anxiety from PTS. And for a long time, I was looking for something other than pharmaceuticals to help with some of the lingering symptoms. And that's when I heard about CBDs. So I tried Sagely Naturals. Sagely is a safe and effective way to promote health and um, to promote a state of balance in the mind and in the body. And now you can try it and get 20% off your first order by visiting sagelynaturals.com slash AG. Uh, CBD can be found in everyday plants like broccoli and kale, but it's most abundant in hemp. And Sagely Naturals extracts their CBD from hemp grown in the United States and puts it into products that can help you with insomnia, stress, anxiety, and all kinds of issues that can throw you off balance. 
Not only are the Sagely products THC-free, which means you get the benefits of CBDs without any psychoactive side effects, but they're made with all-natural plant-based ingredients that are free from parabens, synthetic fragrances, there's no artificial colors or dyes, and there's no sulfates. Sagely Naturals has a wide range of products, including lotions, sprays, essential oils, and supplements, and they have four collections based on specific needs, including tranquility, relief and recovery, dream well, and then an extra strength formula. I personally use tranquility. It really helps me with my general, generalized anxiety and stress. Sagely Naturals has me feeling like my best self, and you can get 20% off your first order at sagelynaturals.com slash A-G. That's S-A-G-E-L-Y naturals.com slash A-G for 20% off your first order. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA, and these products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, welcome back. Hot notes. All right, welcome back today. Jordan, you're going to go over Attorney General Barr's testimony Mm -hmm. to the Senate. What a wonderful time. Yeah, what a day it was. Uh, But first, Jaleesa, you have an update on Roger Stone. A couple of them, actually. I do, yes. So on Friday, we learned that a series of Roger Stone briefs were filed by the U.S. Attorney for D.C., Jesse Liu, along with two other attorneys who used to work on Mueller's team, Adam Jed and Aaron Zielinski, basically the Justice League. So these guys filed the briefs to respond to Stone's ridiculous efforts to, one, have his indictment dismissed dismissed. Two, demand access to the full Mueller report. Three, his claim that he was basically being profiled. And four, his argument that Mueller's appointment was inappropriate. He's being profiled. Right. Like for his head shape. Yeah, I'm personally offended by that one. And he's won to talk because as we reported, Stone was charged in January with obstructing the House Intelligence Committee's investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 election. So when it comes to being inappropriate, don't go throwing Roger Stones in a glass house. Not to mention, he was also charged with making five false statements to the committee and one count of witness tampering. Of course, Stone has pleaded not guilty to these charges. He even referenced Barr's 19-page bullshit memo supporting his argument that the case should be dismissed. But Mueller's team said Stone's, Stone misin- misrepresented Barr's memo. In other words, he got them fucked up. In response, these federal prosecutors argued in the filings that Mueller does not need to prove conspiracy between Russia and the Trump campaign in order to prove that Roger Stone obstructed Congress's investigation. Ah, okay, so that's still their whole defense is that if there's no underlying crime, you can't obstruct justice. Exactly. Specifically, they said, quote, to establish the defendant's guilt of the crime's which with which he is charged, the government is not required to prove the existence of a conspiracy with the Russian government to interfere in the U.S. presidential election. And while this statement completely contradicts Rudy Giuliani's tweet from last week, to be fair, even Giuliani contradicts Giuliani, so I'm sure he'll understand. And just in case you missed it, Rudy tweeted from his bad boy cave that, quote, an obstruction case where there is no proof of an underlying crime is questionable. If you add to it, nothing actually obstructed. There's no case. And then he went back into his cocoon. Prosecutors <laughs> also said, quote, while the Department of Justice is... climbed out. Yeah. Right. Slime all Tweet, And then crawled back into his cave. I can just see it now. Transforming into my final form. Spun the web out of his butthole and crawled back in. And... 
Prosecutors also say, quote, while the Department of Justice's position is that the indictment or criminal prosecution of a sitting president would impermissibly undermine the capacity of the executive branch to perform its constitutionally assigned functions, it also takes the position that a criminal investigation during the president's term is permissible, which is a pretty big deal. They're basically saying that if the Constitution prevented the president from being investigated while in office, then the government would not be able to properly preserve evidence while the memories and documents are still fresh and available. They also mention that without an investigation, how could the president even be formally cleared of any wrongdoing? <laughs> Furthermore, <laughs> this is so simple, guys. It really is. Trump and his campaign did actually conspire with the Russians. They just couldn't find the evidence because it was either deleted or they pled they the lied. fifth or they lied yeah. or they destroyed boxes of emails. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was actually an underlying crime, just not enough evidence to prove it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there was reason for for Trump to want to obstruct justice. If there wasn't, he wouldn't have said, oh, my God, my presidency is over. I'm fucked. Exactly. That's motive right there. That is uh, what is that called? Guilty consciousness of guilt. Mm-hmm. So it's super basic and and totally obvious to anyone with half a brain. Yeah, yeah. Totally legal. Totally cool. Yeah. <laughs> Totally legal, totally cool. Furthermore, prosecutors argued that Stone was mistaken because, quote, the investigation was not specific to the president and the indictment itself related to Stone's behavior, not Trump's. Mm. They even cited the Nixon investigation as a reference. They said, quote, merely investigation. Investigating a president, his campaign, or others who worked with them raises no such difficulties. Prosecutors also argued against Stone's efforts to transfer his case from his current judge, Amy Berman Jackson, or Judge Jackson if you're nasty. And as we know, she was also the judge for the Manafort case where he ended up in jail. So what's up, Roger? You scared maybe a little bit? <laughs> and while Stone claims that his case is not related to Manafort's trial, the prosecutors disagree, obviously. They say that because Stone's false statements to the Congressional Committee were regarding a Russian intelligence officer who was suspected to be the guy in charge charge of the whole hacking operation, then yeah, maybe his case is related to the Russia case after all. And prosecutors also argue that Stone should not receive access to the full unredacted report because it isn't evidence in his case, not to mention they've already given his legal team all the evidence he needs. However, Stone's request to see the full report is still to be determined by the federal courts. Yeah, why does he need to see it? Yeah. he's a little shit. And, and, and Judge he... Jackson denied twice when asked if he could be uh, like removed from or not, uh, you know, de- uh, related to, yeah. the, to the Russian indictment no case. No, man. Come on. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's like, what would he even do with that unredacted information? We get show Trump for... if he hasn't seen it already. Yeah. But there's I don't know. I If anyone if it's <laughs> there's no know. good reason for him to get it. I would want it. I mean, I think everyone would want it. But like, <laughs> what makes you think you deserve it? Right? Like, stop asking. He thinks he deserves everything. Yeah, I get why he would want it as just, like, the trolley carnival citizen man that he was before, but... (laughs) Right. (laughs) Carnival (laughs) citizen man. Nice. Him and Giuliani could do, like, a whole Six Flags commercial, I'm telling you. Yeah, he's gonna get the report and, like, load himself into a cannon and shoot himself over the Russia. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, do the whole world a favor. Keeping this here forever. Yeah, and he just had a gag order, so it's like, why why are you asking for, like, more information? You can't even be trusted with, like, the information was given to you already, like... Mm. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, that's, I guess, what I was going to say is now the state that he exists in right now, there's Mm -hmm. no way in hell he would ever or should ever even think about doing anything with any information. Exactly. The thin, thin, like, veil of morals. (laughs) Well, just, yeah, I mean, his His inability to shut up. Oh, yeah, yeah. His freedom is on such thin ice right now. Totally. It's like, I wouldn't go anywhere near anything that could potentially be used against me. Maybe he's a masochist. Like, maybe he likes being gagged, you know, because he did the whole swingers thing back in the day. I wouldn't Uh, put it past him. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No shame in that. No shame to swingers, just maybe he likes it. But this, (laughs) this is just out of control. And it's, he, 
doesn't care because going to prison, he's, he, he probably sees himself as like, I'm already fucking going to prison. Might as well be famous. Might as well be able to get a book deal out of it. Might as well be able to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. Can you publish a book from prison? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Most people do, right? When, yeah. I guess not most, most but <laughs> those do. that can do. I sure did. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, That's where you no, learn how to freestyle. <laughs> it's it's like wool. It's like these guys who just don't give a shit about the law. He's under investigation for totally. his, his surefire intelligence uh, bullshit. Yeah, LinkedIn he's site. gonna write a book from prison for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, um, and he needs a he needs a ghostwriter because I don't think that guy can read. Um, ghostwriter for Roger Stone and and Jacob Wool. That's <laughs> great. Yeah, wait, how do you do? Do they give? This is gonna sound fucked up, but do they like allow you that much access to paper and freedom? If you're rich time? enough, if you're rich and white and yeah. straight and, and white collar jail, <laughs> hell yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Oh yeah, dude, dude, think about Epstein. He didn't even have to sp- fucking spend the day there, right? Exactly. It's like boarding school for rich white guys. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Disciplines them. Yeah, not really. No, no, not at all. <laughs> and everyone there has parents that didn't love them. Also, nice. and I think this does speak a lot about uh, the lack of deterrence for committing white collar crime because the punishments are so lame. Yeah, slap on the wrist. Um, you know, you get the the sweet sweet you know hotel jail, uh, mm-hmm. or you know maybe even not. You know, you can you can totally sell your entire country out, sell it the entire democracy. You'll yeah. get seven years. And I guess for someone like them, that that is oppression, like being in a jail, even though we see it as like a slap on the wrist. But yeah, some of them must know that they're definitely getting off easy. And yeah, they just either that or they're like, it. well, they're going to seize all my assets, so I, I go to jail. It's a nice jail. I don't have to pay rent. I can work out, have some mm-hmm. hot meals, probably watch cable, yeah, write my side. book, get back out, make a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Roger Stone get a second tattoo in there. He can complete the whole like. Nixon tattoo, make the whole body <laughs> get a like Trump right into the Nixon Trump, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> stick and poke. <laughs> Ooh, nice, yeah. Drink some good. dick toilet wine, yeah, man. It's a good big, life. Big dick toilet wine. They get the real stuff though. Those privileged mm. fucks, yeah, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. All right, well, thanks for that update. Yeah, um, thank you. God damn it, Roger Stone, you're so weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a memoir, <laughs> a memoir. That's my book. God damn it, Roger Stone, you're, you're so, so weird. weird. By In parentheses, AG. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the the subtitle is "How Roger Stone is so goddamn weird." Let's <laughs> repeat. Why it. not, man? Why not? All right, Jordan. Uh, let's let's talk about Bill Barr's testimony, shall we? Because this was a fascinating day. Yeah, really, really, really big day. Probably one of the biggest days in the Mueller investigation in a long time, right? Um, or right, a couple weeks, I guess. It's been a fast moving. <laughs> it's been eighty four years. A couple weeks <laughs> yeah. is a long time in this thing. It really yeah. is. Yeah, but uh, the Fixer General, William Barr, he testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday in what was pretty much the biggest puppet show he's put on for Congress so far, I think. Um, his ass must be very sore from having Trump's hand up it for so many hours. <laughs> it was insane. If you missed it, the purpose of his testimony was to discuss Mueller's Russia probe and its findings, as well as Barr's rolling out of those findings to Congress, the public, and ultimately Trump himself. Uh, there were a lot of peak stupid moments in the hearing, so I'm just going to cover some highlights. But first off, this hearing was an extra big deal because it came on the heels of the revelation that Mueller himself had sent a letter to Barr complaining that Barr, quote, did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of the special counsel's findings uh, when he released that four-page memo. Also, the quote ended somewhere in the middle of that sentence. (laughs) 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 Uh, But but when he released that four-page memo on March 24th, announcing that the president was innocent, basically, before the full report was released, we all know this very well. Uh, We also learned that Mueller followed the letter. Well, Mueller did not follow up. Barr said that he called Mueller after he got the letter, and 
he they had a conversation in which Mueller expressed his concern explicitly that the media was now mischaracterizing his office's findings and that it was creating public confusion, essentially, about all of the office's work. So Barr defended his actions to the committee, right? After he goes on um, the whole time. That's basically what he was doing. He was defending himself and defending Trump. He was saying it was up to him what was to be done with the special counsel's findings after Mueller handed it over to him and that the letter seemed a bit snitty, he says. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I- and the thing that also got me was when he said, once the report was done, it was handed over to me. It was my baby. Right. That's Ew. right. So very gross. gross. Yes, very gross. And I also, I particularly hate that he said snitty. I think that's just so incredibly disrespectful. That's mm-hmm. such a... And that it was probably written by one of his staff Right. or something like that like like first of all first of all why are you insulting his staffers and second of all uh, yeah i think bob Mueller is anything but snitty exactly he's been nothing but fair to his puppet master and also this is like bob Mueller you're talking about not fucking regina george so <laughs> don't say some shit like snitty like get in loser we're going colluding yeah exactly <laughs> and like stop acting vic- stop acting victimized right and keep your shit talking to your lunch table with mcdonald trump nice <laughs> oh, you can't sit with us can't wear pink on wednesdays yes we're on fire man thank you george <laughs> Um, what ultimately transpired... doesn't even go here. (laughs) Mean Girls Forever. Yeah. The most quotable movie My husband just finally watched it. Really? Uh, And and you can imagine, like, my old ex-punk rock, former Reagan Republican, beardy, you know, uh, original, uh, hipster husband mm-hmm. original hipster S- Republican husband <laughs> dying laughing at mean girls and he said i why have i never seen this i had no idea it was it's a so classic funny. my like, girlfriend just saw the matrix dude, for the yeah. first time some people just are late that's like 20 years well you think mean girls i'm not gonna watch that it's a chick flick but it's not it's, it's more relatable now than ever it's polar and fake oh you know? my god have you seen a little video of mean girls when uh regina's throwing the uh the burn book pages out and someone put the Mueller report and like <laughs> and they just made it seem like everyone else like scrambling around her and chaos was like uh sarah sanders and like uh bar crying on the steps like i gotta send you that link oh my I god seen it. it's amazing so yeah yeah good Bill shit. bar is like coach Carr. Exactly. Step away from the young girls. <laughs> or Trump. Or Brody. Any of those guys. Yeah. Really. <laughs> that's so racist, relevant. Angie. Oh, yeah. So that, racist. That's when Diamond and Silk. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to eat my chicken over here and just leave me alone. <laughs> um, but, so, are we done with the Mean Girls? Right? I think so, we're oh, yeah, I'm think down we're to keep going. It might happen more, but, you oh, know. Pr- okay. Please, yeah, yeah. Please, I'm please continue. continue. Okay. I don't want to cut any trains of thought here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, so, what ultimately transpired in this hearing was basically two separate hearings, right? One for the Dems to try to get answers on why Barr rolled the report out like he did and why he didn't heed Mueller's request to release the summaries to the public. And then the other hearing, which is the one for the Republicans who wanted to play those broken records about the origins of the Russia probe and the handling of the Hillary investigation. The oranges. The oranges <laughs> of the investigation. Uh, so that was a big preface to all of these highlights. I'm just going to go down the line here um, from the hearing. So number one, Barr... <laughs> AG just put the uh, the little pop filter on her face. <laughs> it was like a, You haven't even drank wine, have you? Or is that the whole bottle was yours? <laughs> yeah. There's an empty bottle here, no, too. No, that's from a few days ago. Oh, okay, good, oh, yeah, good. No, you're just having a, yeah, you're yeah. in a onesie. You're feeling loose, not... Yeah, yes, well, I love it. I have my coffee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where my onesie? It's, it's Sunday. Sunday. It's fun day. Sunday onesie. Yeah. I dig it. Doesn't rhyme. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not wearing pants. That's yeah, right. It's, it's, no pants. Pants. it's that... a no pants party. Yes, yes. That Muller she wrote. Yeah. Um, You're the only one wearing pants today. That's true. Oh, that's backwards. It's yeah. backwards day. <laughs> wow. You can't sit with us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love it. 
Till. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, highlights. Here we go. Number one. Uh, Barr really leaned into his use of the word spying and doubled down on that characterization of the probe into the Trump campaign. It's not pejorative. It's not pejorative. Yeah, claiming that it wasn't supposed to be taken in any sort of a negative way and it wasn't to you know insinuate anything nefarious he was just but but still wouldn't back down from using that word that did is, you notice how he used another word to describe his word that probably trump supporters wouldn't understand oh so he he comes out and says it on his use of the word spying it's not pejorative and then trump's words like yeah wait what <laughs> he used another word to and i feel like that's disguising what he actually did yeah because if he came out and said it's not a negative word people might go Hey, it kind of is a negative connotation, but if he's it's not pejorative, they can go, yeah, the attorney general what... says it's not pejorative. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cat Williams has a joke about this where he says they use the term insurgent to confuse civilians. Like, we're, we killed about, you know, a thousand insurgents. They're like, oh, that's fine. I don't have any insurgent friends. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I also feel like it's one of those things where, like, if you're saying something offensive, you know, and someone and you like you personally can't understand why it's offensive, but other people are like, hey, bro, that's offensive. Just don't say it. Mm-hmm. Unless you have some sort of a personal stake in using that word, which he does, <laughs> then you should have no reason to not use that word anymore. Exactly. And obviously <laughs> he does have reason to. Um, so, yeah, don't buy his bullshit. Obviously, Obviously. the overarching theme of his existence. Uh, Okay, number two highlight. He defended his decision to roll out that March 24th letter saying that he didn't believe the report showed Trump had done anything that would amount to obstruction. So he's not backing down from that, obviously, saying it was great. Great decision. All mine. All my own. (laughs) All me. Not directed by anyone else to do that. Number three. Barr said that since Trump found the probe to be unfair... There was no corrupt uh, motive in Trump trying to fire Mueller, which would, in you know, so many words, absolve Trump essentially of doing anything that was again nefarious. Mm. Uh, but we know that that is also bullshit. So <laughs> still can't do that, um, and that is yet to be determined, or at least yet to be enforced. But Congress, get on that shit because mm-hmm. that's not okay. And number four, so, uh, he said, "Stop trying to make spying happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We should have a segment called Congress Get on That Shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get on that shit. Uh, this song could be Get Down on It. No, it's not going to work. So it's too. It's a near." Yeah, no worries. Sorry, guys. No, 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 that's fine. (laughs) Okay, fourth highlight. He says that he sees no conflict between Trump fully cooperating with Mueller and the shit that he tried to pull with Corey Lewandowski. He says that those things can exist and (laughs) apparently not to be related to each other. As a reminder, the thing that he did with Corey Lewandowski, this is when Trump asked a private citizen at the time to go and limit (laughs) the scope essentially or i should say the time frame in which Mueller was to investigate trump and trump oh that's right by telling yes. he said to tell him uh to go tell he can only investigate Mueller that you can only investigate the after. future yeah <laughs> yes i'm from the future yes in the year 2000 yes <laughs> and then obviously cory lewandowski doesn't do that because anyone with a brain on their head would not and also he's a private citizen and has zero fucking authority to do that anyway Seriously. and he told Mueller I was asked to do that that's the mm-hmm. only way Mueller could have known that yeah. unless he got notes from Annie Donaldson or Priebus the Mole or something yes. Priebus the Mole dude someone should do a sketch maybe SNL where like Trump gets subpoenaed from the future that would be great yeah yeah porn <laughs> um 
but so yeah bar bar saying acknowledging the fact that that stuff happened but that that does not constitute trying to get in the way of Mueller's investigation <laughs> which i can't what is then what would be obstruction of justice or does know. he think that mm. it is obstruction of justice for regular people, but not the president? That's what I was going to say. It's like, as long as he's president, I don't think he believes he can obstruct. I think or, it's all fair game for him. Or what he's he, what he could be saying, and he has said this, is that there's no underlying crime, then you can't obstruct justice. So I don't know if it's that or if a president can't obstruct justice oh. or both. Like, yeah. like if well, he thinks he's unfairly being investigated, then the investigation is like make-believe. So right, because he did say that, right, in his testimony. He said, look, uh, uh, you, uh, the president felt he was being falsely accused. He's allowed to s- try to stop those kinds of investigations. Oh, right, yeah, because this is even worse. This isn't even about, <laughs> like, his own decisions on whether or not he obstructed justice. This is, this is just him saying that... This is taking two facts, or not facts, because one of them is blatantly untrue. <laughs> one of them being that he fully cooperated, the other being that he did not cooperate. And regardless of whatever judgment he's making on those actions, he's saying that those two can exist together in, like, in a mutually exclusive way, and they just cannot. Mm-hmm. Because you you just can't acknowledge that both of those things they conflict by their own nature like Mm -hmm. empirically they can't be together and be true at the same time fucking idiot i love that i love the fury jordan (laughs) so then get logic you're pissed off about some logic shit Mm -hmm. yes it's just so it's so i used okay i took a philosophy like logic class just like an intro one when in college that all it was like a symbolic logic class where it just you know like teaches you it's very similar to geometry and proofs and stuff just yeah, like you can't have rules. these two things mutually exactly. exclusive can't exist at the same time or this is a straw man argument or this is a the or, you know yeah, exactly they, they teach you all those uh term all that terminology and yes uh for for what you can't logically say and call yourself logical yes. right right and that class was like so fascinating to me because it essentially gives a like mathematical you know component to statements and arguments right like somebody on twitter has said to me uh to prove that the report the Mueller report proved to him show where in show where in the report that it 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 doesn't say uh trump didn't collude and i go that proof is the entire report Mm-hmm. If you're asking me to tell you that the report doesn't say something, I can't show you where in the report it doesn't say that. Right. You just have to have the whole report. I'm like, how about you show me where in the report it says he there was no collusion. Right. And he's like, no, oh, no, that's not up to me. I'm like, technically, if you're trying to show me the report says something, or then you have to show me where it says it. I can't show you where it doesn't say it. Exactly. It's kind of like trying to prove God doesn't exist. Yes. Right? It's the same logical fallacy where, uh, and he's like, I win. And then he retweeted my tweet and he's like, look, everyone, she can't tell me where it doesn't say this in the report. Oh, and I'm like, God. it says, it, read the whole report. It's not in there. That There you go. And, and yes. That, like that kind of. Exactly. Oh my God. Why can't you understand? Yes. And that's that's what I found to be so fascinating about that that whole idea of like the symbolic logic or whatever. But ba- But basically, just if everyone could speak that language and everyone could just look at it you can literally prove how statements are untrue and it's so frustrating that you can use language like he does and like other people do to manipulate the truth out 
of what's right in front of your face. Yeah, Ashran Gapa calls it uh, reflexive control. It's actually a Russian active measures um, trick. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's why they started to bring up the word collusion in the first place. So that because collusion is not a legal term, at the end they could say there was no collusion. And they we're were all thinking like, ahead, yeah. Yeah, you're correct. They're, that, there was, that's not a legal term. Uh, right. They plotted this. They knew course. what they were getting into. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Ugh. All right. Number five. Um, so Barr also said that he couldn't recall if he discussed any of the ongoing cases stemming from the Mueller probe with the White House, which my phone, I just realized, autocorrected to whorehouse. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Keeping it real. Autocorrect. Amazing. <laughs> okay. Number six. Uh, Kamala Harris had an amazing moment where she trialered the crap out of Barr's ass and got Barr to confirm that he did not read the underlying evidence of the Mueller report. Yeah, so she's like, so your letter concluded that the evidence doesn't show he obstructed justice, and that's what you based your decision of no obstruction on, but now you're telling me you didn't even see the underlying evidence. So how can you possibly say the evidence shows something when you haven't seen the evidence? And he's like... Yeah, he, he was like a little Muppet, yeah. Yeah, because he said that he was just uh, going off of what Mueller had told him, and he, he was essentially just kind of taking what he said and reiterating it on the other side yeah he, yeah, he was it, blasting that's his, how it like, goes the u.s attorney t- turns in the stuff to me and then i make the statement she, and, he, and she's like you didn't think it was important in this particular case the one against the president of the united states yeah a hugely historical thing that you might want to look at that underlying evidence to make your decision on whether or not he obstructed justice i don't need to he was right. just broadcasting his incompetence basically yep. yeah and also to say that he was just basically you know Recharacterizing something that Mueller had already said is a lie because Mueller did not make a judgment on obstruction That's of right. justice. So he went and made one on his own yeah, without looking too. at the evidence. He was like mumbling, you know, just so annoying to even listen to. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so Kamala has since sent a letter to the IG, the Inspector General, to open up an investigation into whether Trump has asked the Department of Justice to investigate his political enemies, which is also a question that Barr couldn't answer. So she had a really awesome day um, and was calling for his immediate resignation after that hearing. Uh, as was Pelosi. Uh, yes. I think Pelosi came out. A lot of people said, were. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Number eight. Uh, I only got two more. And that'll Let's be go. done. Um, so Barr said that he doesn't think Mueller handed off the obstruction decision to Congress. He made that explicitly clear. He doesn't think that that's the role of Congress, and that's not what Mueller intended their role to be. That's literally what he said in the report. <laughs> and or after he gets out of office, other prosecutors can do this. Yep. It's Congress or that. Yep. Like. The, Okay. Yep. And uh, final big highlight uh, that I thought was worth noting um, is when Barr was asked for the notes that he took on his phone call with Mueller. Barr yeah, just flat out question. said no. Yep. Yeah. He, that Blumenthal. was literally the quote. N-O. No. Right. Because Blumenthal was questioning uh, whether or not uh, Mueller was actually blaming the media. Uh, for the mischaracterization of of Barr's four page memo and his his subsequent letters after that, and uh, and and so he said this phone call was it memorialized? But and, and Barr was like, yes. He's like, can we may we may we see those notes? No, no. Why not? Why should you have them? Yep. Why should you have them? Like how I am the motherfucking oversight of your ass. That is why I should have them. I love that they're doing these hearings despite the fact that like Barr and his team are giving them anything because it still shows how like much of an asshole they are. Like it shows like the highest leader of the land are just straight up dicks. Trump supporters still thought Barr won that whole thing, though. Oh, of course they she did. She 
apart, take apart everybody today. But, like, but oh moderates, my God, independents, they got his ass cleaned up with <laughs> people that tune out the news. Maybe tuning into this will be like, oh, that's that bar guy. I don't like him. He didn't say right with me. Like, hopefully, those people will read it that way. Yeah, independents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the final cherry on top of all of this was, of course, when Barr announced that he would not show up to the House Judiciary Committee meeting uh, the next day that was scheduled. But uh, hey, I get it. You know, it's like being the president's punching bag is tough, and he needs a rest day before he goes back for another beating. So ah, I can't mm. blame him. Yeah, I mean, I can blame him so, a lot. And so can some salt. Really, <laughs> take yeah. some sagely naturals. <laughs> yeah, get your shit nice together. Organic plug. There. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's about it. So much more to come there because he's not cooperating and Congress isn't having any of that shit. So we're going to see a lot of efforts to get him in there and to get Mueller in there. And we'll be hearing more. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Jordan. Yes. Uh, So um, I'm going to talk about this bar letter. We got some massive, massive news this week when Washington Post, the Washington Post got a hold of a letter that Robert Mueller wrote to Bill Barr. And the reason this is so incredible is that Mueller was so troubled by Barr's handling of his findings that he felt it necessary to memorialize it in a letter or two letters, actually. And uh, Andrew McCabe and I will speak about this a little bit later during the interview. Uh, It's called Going to Paper. But not only is this letter a referendum on the mischaracterization of Barr's summary of Mueller's findings, but it's the most we've heard from Mueller at one time. (laughs) So let's go over this letter, which uh, we will also include in our weekly newsletter for patrons. I got a picture of it for you. So this letter is dated March 27th, written received March 28th, and whoever received it spelled received wrong. Um, (laughs) The letter opens, quote, I previously sent you a letter dated March 25th, 2019, that enclosed the introduction and executive summaries for each volume of the special counsel's report marked with redactions to remove any information that could potentially be protected by the federal rule of criminal procedure 6E, that's grand jury material, uh, that concerned declination decisions or that related to a charged case. We also had marked an additional two sentences for review and have now confirmed that these sentences can be released publicly. So, first off, we learned that this is actually Mueller's second letter to Barr. What? Yeah, because the first line is, yeah, I I wrote you that letter March 25th. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm writing to you again saying those other two sentences are fine to release. He's following up. This yeah. This is his second letter. Thorough. Uh, right. Due diligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then straight up requests that Barr release the enclosed redacted summaries to Congress and the public. Just I'm requesting you release these. Uh, The letter goes on to say, as we stated in our March 5th meeting and reiterated to the department early on the afternoon of March 24th, the introductions and executive summaries of our two volume report accurately summarize this office's work and conclusions. The summary letter the department sent to Congress and released to the public late in the afternoon of March 24th, that's Barr's letter, did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of this office's work and conclusions. We communicated that concern to the department on the morning of March 25th. There is now public confusion about critical aspects of the results of our investigation. This threatens to undermine a central purpose for which the department appointed the special counsel to assure full public confidence in the outcome of the investigations. So he's now saying your letter fucked shit up. (laughs) <laughs> and it threatens to undermine one of the central purposes of my appointment in the first place. So he's de- he's developing these issues, mm-hmm. putting them down on paper. So now we know they met March 5th, which is shortly after Barr was appointed or uh, confirmed. Uh, we know they spoke March 24th, and then they communicated uh, uh, about it again the morning of March 25th, which is probably that first letter that he referred to that we haven't seen. The letter continues, while we understand that the department is reviewing the full report to determine what is appropriate for public release, a process that our office is working with you to complete, uh, the process need not delay the release of the enclosed materials. 
uh, release at this time would alleviate the misunderstandings that have arisen and would answer congressional and public questions about the nature and outcome of our investigation. It would also uh, accord with the standard for public release of notifications to Congress cited in your letter, quote, the attorney general may determine that public release of congressional notifications would be in the public interest, unquote. So now he's using what Barr said uh, to develop, to deter, you know, to kind of lay out the groundwork of why he should release the enclosed materials. Mm-hmm. Also. Just poking holes in his entire argument, basically. Yeah. And laying his foundation for, uh, for any future uh, litigation that mm-hmm. might arise from this. Uh, nowhere <clears throat> does he mention the media mischaracterization which is Barr's whole thing he you know he said um Mueller you know was upset about the media's mischaracterization not mine Mm. but there's not mentioned in here at all yeah passing the buck so now we have multiple occasions during which Mueller has asked Barr to release his summaries, including the, mar- the meeting March 5th and then again on March 24th before Barr issued his letter, then uh, uh, in a release after the release on March 25th in the morning, then during a phone call Barr testified to on March 25th, then again in this letter on March 27th. All five times Barr ignored him and wrote his own misleading summary and then blamed the press several times for mischaracterizing the findings. As you, Like I said, you could see Mueller didn't mention the media in this letter at all. Uh, Barr testified that he asked Mueller on the phone if his letter was inaccurate, and he said Mueller said no. But accuracy and context are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. So sure, it's technically not inaccurate, right? Uh, But it's certainly misleading. Uh, And as Mueller said, it fails to capture the substance and conclusions properly. What's extraordinary here is that weeks after he got all five, maybe more, requests from Mueller to release his uh, summaries because Barr's letter missed the mark, Barr was asked in front of Congress if he knew what Mueller thought of his letter. And he said he didn't know. Uh, He was asked twice. And in a Dem caucus meeting after his testimony this week, Pelosi pointed at Charlie Crist, who asked him that question and said, he lied to you. And that was when Pelosi came out and declared that uh, he committed a crime and should resign. Barr That's did. intense for Pelosi. Yeah, she's really a measured person. Uh, after Barr's testimony this week, Lindsey Graham said he's not going to have McGahn or Mueller testify, but then changed his mind, writing a letter to Mueller asking if he felt Barr misrepresented their phone conversation. Barr testified that Mueller said his letter was not inaccurate uh, and that he blamed the media for the mischaracterization. And Graham has told Mueller to please inform the committee if he'd like to provide testimony regarding any misrepresentation by Barr on the substance of that phone call. Do you think he will? Maybe. Or we could get the notes. Uh, or you could read his letter. It's pretty clear who he blames. Uh, so Graham doesn't want Mueller to testify, but he's giving him a chance to respond to that small part of his testimony, of Barr's testimony. Uh, I'm sure that Mueller will be testifying either in the House or the Senate in short order. In fact, I got news today. May 15th is uh, the tentative date that they've set up for him to uh, testify in the House. Okay, good, good. Uh, and that the Ides of May. So. And it is technically the Ides. The Ides fall in March, May, September. It is the Ides of May. Wouldn't you think Barr would want to get in there before Mueller does then? You'd think, but no. He's completely (laughs) lying. Uh, He can't can't even lube the truth at this point. Uh, He's all out of lube. (laughs) He's all out of lube. Maybe he wants to wait. Sorry, I thought you were going to go into (laughs) it. I was doing air supply. Maybe he wants to wait for Mueller to go in there and then he knows what he he needs to, like, you know, negate. 
Yeah. And before we got that information that they they, uh, agreed on May 15th, um, we knew Mueller still technically works for the Department of Justice and has been available to testify. But the Department of Justice has been slow rolling Congress on setting a date, which is possibly more interference and delay tactics used by Barr to keep his false narrative out there as long as possible. That's what they're pushing back the truth. Totally. As long as possible so that this message of it's done and I'm innocent can sink in, Mm -hmm. has time to cook, you know. Uh, And now Senate Dems, in addition to Kamala Harris, are calling for an inspector general investigation, like you said, into whether the White House has asked the Department of Justice to open any investigation into Trump's political opponents. Um, Jordan, you talked about that. In addition to that, Senate Dems are also calling for an IG investigation into Barr's handling of the release of the Mueller report. This comes after the House asked uh, asking for all the communications between Barr and Mueller. Remember, that was a while back. Uh, And I'm confident we will get to the bottom of this. But is it too late? Right. That first release of Barr's letter may have shut the door on reality for a lot of folks who either wanted to hear Trump was innocent or weren't invested enough to question Barr's interpretation of Mueller's findings. So we might be out here just trying to get at the truth for truth's sake alone, Mm -hmm. which is reason enough for me. So I'll continue to do it. Uh, Anyway, that's the uh, amazing letter we got from Mueller. And stick around because uh, we're going to come right back here with the Fantasy Indictment League and Sabotage. But then we have the interview with Andy McCabe and when we talk a little bit about Mueller going to paper. So we'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies, this is AG here to sing the praises of Beta Brand. Who says work appropriate can't be comfortable? Beta Brand wants you to look good and feel good even at the office. For a long time, I was hoping someone would make business casual feel like athleisure wear. (laughs) And now Beta Brand has the dress pant yoga pant made of four-way stretch fabric that's totally breathable, completely wrinkle resistant, so they pack well, and I absolutely love them. I wear them on stage for every show because I like to move around and be comfy. I like to look professional and feel totally comfortable. Nothing's worse than being distracted by uncomfortable biting dress pants that don't move with you. Uh, it can really take your mind off the task at hand. So the dress pant yoga pant comes in all kinds of colors and patterns. You can get boot cut, skinny, crop, or straight leg, and they come in four different lengths. And they have dress pant details like belt loops, faux zippers, pockets, real pockets, and buttons. Personally, I wear the black straight leg long dress pant yoga pants because I'm tall and pretty much everything I wear is black. So they've got me covered. But they also welcome crowdsourced ideas and have hundreds of designers and thousands of designs to choose from. I get complimented on mine all the time. Uh, These will seriously be your favorite pair of pants. Like I said, I wear them on stage. Then I wear them out to cocktail parties, meet and greets. I wore them when I met the McCabe's. They don't bite. They don't itch. There's no tags. They're breathable. I cannot say enough good things about these pants. So head to betabrand.com slash AG, all lowercase, and grab a few pairs today. That's betabrand.com slash AG, and you'll get 20% off your first pair of the most comfortable pants you'll ever own. Are you guys ready for sabotage? Yes. All right, guys, this week, Adam Schiff, chair of the House Intelligence Committee, made a criminal referral for Eric Prince Uh, in a letter to Bill Barr. (laughs) which is probably going to go nowhere. Schiff has said that in light of inconsistencies between Prince's testimony and what is in the Mueller report, he's making an official criminal referral for Prince for lying to Congress and therefore impairing the ability to investigate Russian influence in the 2016 election. Schiff pointed out six different times uh, that there were discrepancies related to his efforts to set up a back channel between the Trump transition team and Russia. Uh, Prince's lawyer, Matthew Schwartz, says that Prince fully cooperated with Mueller and there's nothing new for the Department of Justice to consider, nor is there any reason to question the special counsel's decision to credit Prince uh, and rely on him in drafting his reports. That's something we don't know is 
what the proffer session for Prince was like and if he helped Mueller and Mueller let him off the hook for lying or why Mueller didn't charge Prince with lying. Right. How bomb was that proffer? Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably in one of those one uh, redacted 12 cases that were referred uh, unless he didn't uh, lie to Mueller uh, and just to Congress. You know, and that's what makes up the further discrepancies. And this is conjecture, but I'm pretty sure Schiff and Mueller communicate and that Mueller would have told Schiff if Prince wasn't charged because of his cooperation. I don't think Schiff would have made a referral uh, after talking to, to Mueller about this. For example, he has yet to refer Don Jr. or Kushner for lying to Congress, which both uh, did, uh, <laughs> saying he's not prepared to move forward with those yet, but that the Prince crimes are ripe. So make the necessary adjustments to your fantasy indictment draft. And speaking of that, it is time to play the Fantasy Indictment League. Ooh. I'm going to be indicted! No, it is going to be okay. Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm going to be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! All right, Julissa, you get to pick first this week. Ooh, well, of course, Eric Prince. No. <laughs> you dick. <laughs> All right, uh, Jordan. Okay, uh, Trump inaugural. Good one. Uh, I'm going to go with Felix Sater. Okay. Assange. All right. WikiLeaks. Nice. Trump organization. Yes. Okay, yes. Weiselberg. Weiselberg All for right. you. All right. Mm-hmm. Um... Carl Klein. Oh, good one. Oh, Thomas Barack. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the entire uh-huh. Barack, yeah. Um, I will go with, we didn't say Corsi yet, right? Nope. nope. Cool, Corsi. All right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me see. <laughs> Junior. Ooh, okay. Going high for the wild card. I know. <laughs> I'm selecting Pecker. Nice. Oh, wait, I think I already had Pecker. Am I wrong? You have Weiselberg. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, great. Sorry, I'm terrible at organizing. Um, I will go with, I think it's my last one, too. Um, did you say AMI yet? That's usually your go-to. I'm going to do AMI. Yeah, nice. Paul Erickson. Okay. Oh, good one. All right. Um, I'm going to wrap it up with uh, a Credico plea deal. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking that, and I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> nice, nice. I'll post that, that up on five? the Facebook group. I believe so. I could be wrong. I thought it was five. I have five for me, so and I was the first one. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. If not, we can update it later. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure we're good. I'm bad at math, but, you know. Yeah, I think I picked five. Awesome. Okay, sweet. All right, guys. Time for the interview. Uh, Joining us today for the interview is former acting director of the FBI and author of The Threat, How the FBI Protects America in the Age of Trump and Terror, Andrew McCabe. Andrew, welcome to Mueller, she wrote. Thanks so much for having me. This is it's really my honor to speak to you today. And it was also my honor this week to attend one of your book signing events. And during your talk, you had asked us to imagine ourselves as investigators and then ran through a timeline, a chronology of events that led to the opening of the investigation into Trump. And I found that timeline to be very helpful and very interesting. And I was hoping that you could run through it with us. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So I think it's helpful also because there's been so much um, reporting uh, that's been, I think, inaccurate and kind of misrepresented. Um, what we knew at that moment when we decided to expand the Russia inquiry and push for the appointment of a special counsel. So as I said the other night, I think it's helpful just to 
put yourself in the shoes of the investigators, which was myself and the small team that was working on the Russia case. And we were all surprised by the firing of Jim Comey. So on that night of May 9th, 2017, I was called over to the attorney general's office um, and informed that Jim had been fired. When we sat down to try to put that in context, we knew if you go back in time to 2014, kind of the fall of 2014 and through 2015, we had been spending a lot of time looking at Russian cyber activity. So during that period, I think it's been reported and is fairly well known, the Russian intelligence services were very aggressively trying to penetrate and hack into numerous organizations in our country, many of which are located in DC. So these are academic institutions, uh, political think tanks, and some government institutions as well. So we knew from the fall of 2014 that the Russian intelligence services were being very active in cyberspace and targeting entities that were engaged in some level in American political activity. In the spring of 2016, um, George Papadopoulos, in a now well-known uh, event, made a curious comment to a foreign diplomat and basically indicated that he was working on the campaign and that they were aware that the Russians had dirt or you know negative information about Hillary Clinton. We didn't know that at the time, but he made those statements back in May of 2016. So then as we go deeper into the summer of 2016 and the election is underway, what do we find out? Well, we discover that those same Russian intelligence services have now also been directing their hacking activity at the Democratic National Committee and the DCCC, both of the kind of major organizations in, you know, engaged at that point in supporting Hillary Clinton as the, as the Democratic uh, one of and the eventual nominee for the Democratic uh, Party. So we knew that the Russians had kind of expanded their cyber activity and were directing it specifically at those two institutions. A little bit later in the summer, sure enough, the material that they'd stolen during those uh, directed hacks was released in the form of the Guccifer 2.0 releases um, and the releases that came out through WikiLeaks. So here you have the, those Russian intelligence agencies sharing the information they've stolen from political entities and apparently for the purpose of damaging Hillary Clinton's candidacy for the presidency. They also released the emails from John Podesta, same thing. Then in July of 2016, the comments that George Papadopoulos made to the foreign diplomat were reported to the FBI. So in July, with that deep knowledge of Russian cyber activity, the apparent goals of the Russians to impact the election, and now having someone inside the campaign tell a foreign diplomat that the campaign was aware that Russian, the Russians had this material, um, we were in a position then to open the Russia case. So on July 30th, we opened that, uh, that umbrella case, and within it, we opened individual cases on four people. How did we pick those four people? Well, it's pretty simple. If you have a suspicion, if you have reason to believe that the campaign might be coordinating with the Russian government, our you know, most serious foreign adversary, we simply stepped back and said, well, what people who we know are connected to the campaign also have established ties to Russia? And that's how, of course, we came up with those first four individuals, George Papadopoulos, for obvious reasons, 
General Mike Flynn, who had had some high-profile interactions with Vladimir Putin. Carter Page, who is someone known to us for a long time to have had interactions with Russian intelligence, and also Paul Manafort. Then in the fall of 2016, we received for the first time the Steele information. So that information collected by Chris Steele, who was a known reliable source to the FBI, that is provided to us after the Russia case had been opened. Um, we didn't know quite what to make of the Steele information. He had given us as I said, solid and reliable information in the past. So it came kind of from a, uh, from a well-known uh, source, but the information itself was broad and controversial and alleged all sorts of things. It was said about the kind of meticulous process of trying to vet that information that we received from Chris Steele. So that's pretty much where we are in the fall of 2016. Then in December of 2016, after the election, we were asked by President Obama uh, to conduct kind of an assessment of what we thought about Russian activity involved in the 2016 election. And of course, the results of that are well known. We produced the Intelligence Community Assessment, a joint product between the CIA, the FBI, and the NSA, in which we concluded with high confidence that the Russians had certainly meddled in the campaign. They had done so, first and foremost, with the purpose of trying to sow division and kind of distraction in our dem um, democratic process. Second, they did it to hurt Hillary Clinton's chances of getting elected because they particularly did not like the prospect of a Clinton presidency. And third, they did it to assist, to help Donald Trump get elected. So that gets us to January. At this point, we start to have some very concerning, odd interactions between President Trump and Jim Comey. First, the president engages in a series of references publicly to the Russia, the Russia investigation that very clearly indicate to us he is not happy about what we're doing. Um, he consistently refers to the investigation as a witch hunt or a hoax or a sham. So again, as investigators, we take that as a sign that the president does not want us to be doing what we're doing. That is investigating Russian influence on the campaign. Next, he requests a pledge of personal loyalty from Director Comey in a, a well-known and oft-repeated uh, incident that took place during a dinner between the two. Following that, he actually asks Director Comey to discontinue the Flynn investigation. So the investigation into Mike Flynn, which is a part of our Russia case, he asks that we drop it completely. And that was really a watershed moment for me and for others. Um, I think one that indicated to us that the president's odd statements were more than just kind of, um, you know, the statements of someone who, uh, who is unsophisticated and doesn't know how the FBI works. Right. You're, you're starting to get inclinations now that the, these little hic hiccups of obstruction here and there where, and this is all kind of adding up into sort of a, a seeming pattern, right? That's right. That's right. So he's, you know, clearly doesn't want us investigating Russia, has now asked us to stop part of that part of that investigation. And then he repeatedly asks Director Comey to kind of make a public announcement to tell the world that uh, he's not, in fact, under investigation. So those are all the things that bring us to May of 2017. Right. So all this really well-substantiated, malign cyber activity by the Russians, clearly for the purpose of helping President Trump, then this odd behavior on the part of the president in, in kind of 
you know, thrown a wet blanket on the investigation, asking us to drop the Flynn investigation, pushing Director Comey for loyalty. On that background, on May 9th, he, of course, fires Director Comey. And in the days that follow, he does additional strange things. Like first, he pushes me to embrace this false narrative that Director Comey was fired because people in the FBI didn't like him. Uh, clearly not true and not something uh, that I was willing to support. He then tells the Russians in the Oval Office that he's fired the director and that firing him has relieved a lot of pressure on the president and the administration uh, from the Russia investigation. Okay. Very strange thing to say to our adversary in the Oval Office, right? I mean, and then, of course, he makes the comments to Lester Holt that he was thinking about Russia when he fired Director Comey. So with that incredibly dense background, with all of that information, we then look at what is our responsibility now? What is it that we're supposed to do as the investigators, right? We're not the prosecutors. We don't take anyone to trial. We don't convict anyone. We don't throw people in jail. We simply decide what gets investigated. And are we at the point here where we should open an investigation on the president? And um, that's kind of, yeah, where it ended up and, and where it all led to. And I, I guess one of my first thoughts would be that letter that um, Rod Rosenstein wrote to justify the firing of Comey and, and that apparently Rod Rosenstein didn't realize his letter was going to be used in that capacity. But I was always curious as to why, as, as a potential witness for obstruction of justice, he was allowed to oversee the investigation in the first place. Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Um, and it's not one that I can answer because I have the same concerns about why Rod made that decision. I, you know, recusal is an interesting thing. It's basically as an official in the government, if certainly as an investigator or prosecutor, you're confronted with these situations frequently. You're, you have an ethical observ, uh, you have an ethical obligation to kind of review the facts, you know, sometimes seek guidance from your ethics advisors and your conflict advisors. But ultimately, the decision is up to you. It's like nobody can really force you to recuse. It really has to be something that you decide. Um, in this case, you know, Rod had played a major role in the firing of Director Comey, which in and of itself might have been the most significant obstructive act by the president. It's been, of course, now detailed um, in the Mueller report and referred to um, as a potential act of obstruction. So having played a role in that act, um, it was always odd to me that Rod did not step aside um, from an investigation in which he would be considered at least a witness, if nothing else. But speaking of the Mueller report, something that really struck a chord with me in your book was when you talked about going to paper, which is uh, usually you don't put things down in writing unless it's, it's very critical. And so I was uh, hoping you could share with us your reaction to Mueller going to paper in his letters. Now there's, we know, I think there's two letters. We've only seen one to Attorney General Bill Barr objecting to his characterization of his findings and, and what kind of an enormous thing that is for him to go to paper like that. Yeah, going to paper, I know this is kind of one of those things that people who are not in government will, you know, kind of <laughs> dismiss as being goofy or, uh, you know, it's like a war between bureaucrats or something. But it is actually pretty significant. I mean, you 
are obligated to maintain records of 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 the documents that you do create and exchange with each other. So everyone is aware that like sending an official letter is establishing an, an indelible record about a decision or an issue. And so you really only do that when you want to make your position perfectly clear in a very strong way and one that you want people to be able to refer to later. So it's not, it's, you know, if you, you might be mad at someone else and call them up and have a heated discussion with them and try to work out some sort of an agreement that happens all the time. You really only go to paper and send the letter when you're expressing a strong opinion and you want others to be able to refer to it later. So I can only imagine that those are the sort of con uh, considerations that Director Mueller and his staff um, thought about and went through when they wrote that letter. Um, Director Mueller is an incredibly careful, um, kind of judicious guy. He doesn't, he's not the kind of guy that flares off, you know, and reacts emotionally and things like that. So I read the letter. I was struck by how strongly he kind of establishes his position. So it's my guess, and this is speculation here, that he felt, um, you know, very strongly about the things that he explains in that letter and he wanted to do it in a way that ultimately the world would see. So I, I take it very seriously. Um, yeah, that's kind of what we thought about it as well, especially after your characterization of the whole idea of going to paper in the first place, which we learned from your book. Uh, and while I've got you, I wanted to ask you, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, why you think, and this is an old thing, it's an old subject, but we've got a, we've got a battle of the Comey uh, going on uh, with the listeners of our podcast. Some people believe Comey, um, should not have reopened the Hillary email investigation just days before the election and, and possibly lost her the election. And others think he might have been forced into it um, because of potential leaks that could have come out of the New York field office. And I, I was just wondering if you could maybe go over uh, quickly with us, if you're able to, the timeline of events that led to that decision to reopen the case and, and if you agree with it. Yeah, you know, I can tell you a little bit about what I know, AG. I, I obviously... Um... Well, maybe it's not obvious. <laughs> I'll just say I wasn't there uh, for the ultimate decision to notify Congress about the fact that we'd essentially reopen the case. Um, I was traveling at the time. I had basically set up the meetings that led to that decision point. Um, but essentially what happened was at the beginning, end of September, beginning of October, we learned from our New York field office that they had um, you know, taken into custody the infamous Wiener laptop. So it was a laptop used by Anthony Weiner that included a large number of emails that might have been uh, Hillary Clinton's copies of Hillary, some of Hillary Clinton's emails. So we found out about that in the beginning of October. Um, I had some, I'd given some direction to some of my subordinate leaders to do whatever was necessary to find out what we had. That really kind of dragged on. and Not much progress was made during, during the course of October. So it's not until the very last week in October that it comes back to me that we're still kind of um, spinning our wheels in terms of finding out exactly what's on that laptop. So I told Jim, um, I had told him when I found out about the laptop a few weeks earlier, uh, and I brought it back to him and said that he needed to have a meeting with the team. So that meeting took place on uh, Thursday, I want to say like October 26th or 27th, I may not have the date right. Um, and that's the, that was the conversation that ultimately led to Jim making the decision that he needed to notify Congress. Um, 
I was not a part of those conversations because at the same time, uh, people were concerned about a separate issue that might cause me to recuse from being involved in any further decisions on the Clinton email case. So while that was pending, Jim told me he didn't want me to participate in the decision. Um, I didn't agree with the way that he was looking at the issue. I felt like it would be premature to notify Congress before we knew exactly what we had. Um, I knew that there was probably a good chance that most of that material were simply duplicates of the emails that we'd already looked at. Um, and so from my perspective, I thought that was a reasonable uh, risk to take, that we should at least do the preliminary work to find out you know, how much of that stuff was actually new. Jim, as we all know, felt very ultimately felt differently about it and decided he had to notify Congress before we took any kind of affirmative acts. Um, I cannot tell you exactly what was going through his head at the time. Um, Jim has explained it in his own way that he felt like it was two very, uh, you know, tough options and he picked the one that he thought was the least bad. Um, but I think it's undeniable that the revelation, the public revelation of the work that we were doing there, um, certainly had an impact on the, on the results of the election. Yeah, and I guess that's why I don't really understand the whole idea of a deep deep state con or you know conspiracy where if if you guys were really really truly wanted to not have Trump win the election, you could have revealed that he was under investigation and not uh, reopened the Hillary uh, case. It's, it kind of flies in the face of the idea that it was all a big conspiracy to 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 you know to take down Trump. Yeah, you know you're you're absolutely right. I mean that's just a you know, a convenient and kind of inflammatory political talking point, but has no basis in reality whatsoever. I mean, if you look at the decisions we made through that summer into the fall, right up to the election, um, they were hard choices. They were kind of unprecedented things. We tried to do um, everything we could to avoid stepping into the election. Unfortunately, we weren't always successful. Um but to, to suggest that there was some overarching like political conspiracy behind the decisions we made is just absolutely false. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll refer back to the decision we made in May, ultimately to open the case on the president. You know, I walked through that whole timeline of everything we knew at that point. Um, and, you know, our authority says when you have an articulable factual basis to indicate that a crime may have been committed or that a threat to national security might exist, that's the threshold that says, okay, now you need to conduct an investigation. That's the decision we made. It wasn't because it was political. We liked Trump. We didn't like Trump. We were trying to overthrow the government. It was, had nothing to do with any of that. It was simply acknowledging what is our obligation as you know, the country's investigators at this time. And we certainly had ample facts to believe that a threat to national security might exist. Yeah, and you had said you're obligated to open that investigation at that time, uh, you know, at, under those circumstances. And if you don't, if you do not open that investigation, then you're acting in a political way. Sure. Yeah, exactly right. So if we had decided, you know what, we have all these facts and all this information, it's clear mm -hmm. we've met the threshold, but let's not do it because it's the president. I mean, that would have been making a political decision. And those are the sorts of decisions that nobody wants the FBI to make. Um, we are supposed to investigate people from, you know, regardless of political party, regardless of social status, social status position, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Everyone is the same in front of the law to us. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I appreciate your, your take on that. But uh, before I let you go, you're currently under criminal investigation. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I know that you're uh, raising money for your legal defense fund. Your, your amazing sister-in-law is, is uh, helping out with that, uh, who I was lucky enough to meet this week. And uh, I, I think that this is your legal defense fund for your, your, your current criminal investigation. I, I think our listeners would be happy to contribute if they could. Could you tell them where they can do that? Yeah, AG, you're, you're, I'm sad to say that you're right. Um, after uh, we're now a year in to the criminal investigation of the uh, DOJ IG's referral of my report over to the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia. And so they are conducting an investigation. We've uh, interacted with them numerous times and tried to be as cooperative as we can. Not sure how much longer that's going to take, but it's been, um, as you can imagine, enormously stressful, um, you know, financially and, and psychologically and everything else. So we do have a legal defense fund set up and you can find it at mccabedefense.org. That's M-C-C-A-B-E-D-E-F-E-N-S-E.org. Yeah, of course. Anytime. And uh, thank you again so much for spending time with us today. We really appreciate it. Answering my questions best to your ability and which you, you there wasn't a lot of redacted material. So I thank you for that. But uh, everyone check out the New York Times bestseller, The Threat, out now wherever books are sold. We've, we've covered it in our, in our MSW book club. And you can check those out, uh, those episodes out if you're a patron. We'll be releasing them to the public soon. Everyone, former acting director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, A.G., very much for the great interview, but also for the incredible work that you guys did with the book club. Well, you, you wrote a great book, so thank you for that. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Have a good day. All right, guys, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you know anyone that needs more information about the Mueller investigation, don't hesitate to send them our way. Uh, if you get a moment, please, please head to Apple Podcasts and subscribe and give us a rating. Uh, it really helps us out. Um, we'll be at the Webby's next week. I think we'll uh, get to record something for you guys at a studio in, in New York. Yeah, we've got some arrangements or options, so we'll we'll keep everybody posted with that. We'll get you something Sunday night for mm-hmm. sure, no yeah, matter someone what. someone offered to – one of our patrons that's coming to hang out with us actually is the one that has a studio. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're going to hang with some patrons. So Oh, at the Webby's? Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Um, I, yeah, we'll get to record something. Um, we will be playing it by ear. Either way, we'll have something for you, like I said, next Sunday night. Thank you again for your kind words and support. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? Um, I don't have any. I know Jaleesa had something. Oh, yeah. I have two. Yeah. Uh, first one, um, shout out to Clayton in Hawaii. I know you guys probably saw, yeah. like, all his pictures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just one of our, like, really, uh, cool patrons. So just a quick shout out. But also, uh, one of our patrons and good friend of the pod, George Woodward, passed away, unfortunately. And, uh, in the private Facebook group, one of his friends, Kate, said, I know if he can find a way to make it work, he'll be haunting all those colluding, conspiring fuckers, or at least messing with their electronics. So this episode is dedicated to George, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace. Really good spirit, so... Thank you, George. Yes. And uh, definitely thoughts out to his family. Much love. Yes. Yes. Everybody, please uh, be kind to yourself. Self-care. Very important. Take care of each other. And we will see you soon. I've been A.G. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote.
Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by AG, and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said... Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.